Welcome to Brave Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us today. We're in a series on Sundays going through the Gospel of Mark, but we also want to encourage you, if you live in the area, go to brave.church slash homechurch and check out our home churches that are gathering together around these teachings throughout the week. We believe the kind of church Jesus came to start is more than a crowd. It's friends on a mission living life together. Another great way to connect further is through social media, where there is content designed to inspire and inform you. Here's this week's talk. Hey, welcome to Brave. Today, we're continuing our Gospel of Mark series. I'm so excited to teach this morning. We're going to be in verses chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. And if you didn't get notes, just raise your hand. Our ushers on the sides will get those to you. You're going to want notes today. Uh, but so far, we've been learning about the beginning of Jesus's gospel, kind of like an origin story. Where did he come from? What was his mission? And what did Jesus' kingdom work look like? Um, so when Jesus first comes on the scene, people are amazed. They're, they're blown away. Uh, his fame is rising rapidly. He's exercising authority over the demonic, authority over sin, and authority over sickness. But today marks a new section and in this section, we begin to see Jesus, Jesus' human competitors. And in the previous section, we saw this phrase immediately, and there was great urgency. But what Jesus was doing was spreading like wildfire. But in this next part, what we see is that his opposition was rising just as rapidly. And it's interesting to think that Jesus, he's getting more and more influential, but so are his opponents. So here we see four disputes regarding Jewish ritual laws and customs. And each controversy, except the last, contains a question posed to Jesus by his competitors, to which Jesus answers with either a declaration or a proverbial saying. So in today's passage, we're going to look at two of those disputes. Um, Let's begin and read our passage together, starting in verse 13. It says, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, otherwise the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. Let's pray. God, I just pray this morning, as we gather around your word together, that you would speak to us. I pray that your spirit would uh, open our eyes to see and our ears to hear exactly what it is to each of us individually that you would desire to say to us this morning. 
that we would walk away with more than we came in with, with a fresh perspective, fresh insight, or that we'd be encouraged, that we'd find the encouragement that we need. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to work through these verses, starting with verse 13. It says, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake, and a large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. So Jesus has been kicked out of the synagogue by religious leaders. It's like pastors have kicked God out of their church. And so Jesus leaves their buildings. He's like, fine, I don't need them. And he goes out into the fields, and these large crowds are gathering. And he actually goes, in this case, to the Sea of Galilee. This was a beautiful place. One of my friends, he's a pastor in Southern California, and he just went on a trip to Israel, and he texted me this photo yesterday. This is from the Sea of Galilee. Isn't that beautiful? It's like Lake Tahoe. I mean, and that's kind of what it's like. It's a freshwater lake. It's not saltwater. When we hear Sea of Galilee, we think maybe he's kind of by the ocean or something, but it's actually just this beautiful setting. And so he's out there, and he's teaching, and all of these crowds are coming, and they're coming to hear him. It says Jesus was well-known all over Israel. People were coming from all over the country. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up, and he followed him. Uh, Levi, a little bit about Levi. Levi was a Jewish tax official. And he was probably in the service of Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, in the city of Capernaum. Um, If you remember the Christmas story, you probably heard of Herod, King Herod. So that king had four sons. And when he died, he divided his, his kingdom into four regions. And each of his sons inherited part of it. And so these guys were rulers. And when you wanted to cross over from one of the kingdoms to the other, from one uh, ruler's authority or region to the next, you had to pay a tax to go. And if you were in business, it was a real bummer because you had to pay import and export taxes just to cross the lines. So it's kind of like if, if you drive into the city and you cross a bridge and you pay a toll. And so it was a, a set amount. But what the tax collectors did is they charged on top of that whatever they wanted. So it was a profession marked by greed. It was corrupt. People hated the tax collectors. Uh, There was no rule that regulated what they could charge. So it was just astronomical what they were doing. And so Levi would have been one of these people that nobody liked. Uh, Tax collectors have never been popular, have they? Uh, But in addition, he's working for the Roman rulers, And these guys are seen as the oppressors of the Jewish people. They're the enemies of God. So he's ripping off his own people, and he's against the God they worship. And so he was considered the lowest of their society. And then one day, everything changed. This famous rabbi named Jesus walks right up to the collection station, right next to the entrance of the road. And instead of picketing, cursing him, protesting him. Uh, Instead of getting all upset or being bitter, he looks at him with gracious eyes, and he says what he has said to many of us in this room. He says, come and follow me. Jesus' other disciples, they were probably thinking, what are you doing, Jesus? Like, we don't want this guy on our team. Like, we get it that you kind of have a lower bar because we're fishermen. And the other rabbis, like, they weren't really, they didn't choose us to be disciples, right? But, but this is a new low. And so here's what happens. It says, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, so now he's at dinner at his house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. 
Number one in your notes, eating together was more than a meal. Eating together was more than a meal. All throughout scripture, the metaphor for the coming kingdom of God was a feast. Isaiah the prophet said, on this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine and the best of meats. Who likes to eat? Doesn't that sound great? Jesus' vision, I got a yum. Jesus' vision of the kingdom of God was a feast that everyone was invited to. In Matthew, it says, many will come from the east and the west, and they'll take their places with Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of God. And in Luke's gospel, it says, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Then in Revelation, it says, never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. Meals are about so much more than food. When Jesus sits down at Levi's house, he's enacting his vision for the kingdom of God. This is divine hospitality. This meal with Jesus is a sign and a symbol that the creator God is welcoming anybody and everybody. So when Jesus hands out these invitations, when he's with Levi and he's at, at his table with his friends, in reality, he's inviting people to be part of this new kingdom. And it's not just Levi, but it's his associates. It's his friends. It says sinners and tax collectors. And so this is where things started to get a little crazy. He's handing out invitations to two groups of people that a lot of other people had problems with, tax collectors and sinners. So we've covered what tax collectors are, but what about sinners? Like, how did the Jewish people define a sinner? A sinner wasn't a cliche in Jesus's world like it is in our time. Uh, it was a technical term used for anyone who didn't keep the law as it was written in the Torah. Uh, or it was anyone who just didn't care. Like somebody, maybe they're Jewish and they, they just decided they wanted to do their own thing, believe what they believe. It was anyone who was sick. It was anyone who was disabled or considered unclean. And it was anyone who, who sinned. It was um, prostitutes. It was addicts. It was other tax collectors. And so all of these people are in this category that they refer to as a sinner because they're not living up to this law. So Mark says that there were many who followed him, many of these kinds of people. And these are the kinds of people who Jesus is associating with. Not the best of the best, not, not those who had it all together, not the most respected in their community, not the ones who knew the most scripture or the most theology. You have Jewish fishermen, and you have the enemies of the Jews, those called sinners, and so this is really interesting. Like, why is Jesus choosing to surround himself with these people? Why is he choosing these people? When Levi gave this dinner for Jesus and his disciples, this is actually the first time in Mark's gospel where we see the disciples referred to as a distinct group. Like, so, so far we have five that are named. Uh, but usually when we imagine the disciples, we're thinking of the 12, right? The 12 that are most commonly referred to. But there were actually a lot of unnamed people in the Gospels who weren't just a crowd. They weren't just people coming to hear what he had to say. These were people that were starting to follow Jesus with their lives. So Jesus is forming a core team of disciples, but there are many who are starting to follow him. Verse 16, it says, when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? 
So they're at Levi's house. And it's probably a nice house because he's a tax collector and he's wealthy. And there they are. They're having good food. There's wine. They're in his courtyard. All of this would have been outside. So it's out in the open. And the Pharisees, they see what's going on. And they've got questions. And this is the moment. This is the first time in the Gospel of Mark where Rabbi Jesus meets some human competition, some human opposition. And the first thing that the Pharisees take issue with is not that he's having a party. It's the guest list. It's who's invited. The religious leaders, they ask this question, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Who are these guys? Who are these people that had an issue? Who are these Pharisees? When I was growing up in church, I always thought of the Pharisees as the bad guys. Because if you've heard the story of Jesus' death, it's like those are the guys that plotted against him. Those are the really bad guys. But what you have to understand, if you're just joining us, is that these guys were the Bible-believing spiritual crossfitters of Jesus' day. I mean, they were the most extreme. They went for it. People looked up to them. They respected them. Yet the scariest and closest comparison that we have today is fundamental conservative Christianity. Last night, I was having dinner with my grandparents. They're here with us this morning. And my grandpa was telling us about the church that he grew up in. And there was, he said it was the best of times and the worst of times because there was so much genuine passion for God and, and, and the good things that, that they were pursuing. But there, there were also all of these rules, all these rules, like they couldn't go roller skating. Uh, they couldn't dance. They, they, they actually went to the extreme. You couldn't wear makeup and you couldn't wear jewelry because it was extravagant. It was too flashy. So they didn't, some of them didn't even wear wedding rings. How crazy is that? It just got out of hand. My dad, I remember him telling me one time about, he grew up in a, in a similar church. Thank God we're, we're not that church, right, guys? <laughs> if you're a guest with us this morning, that's not where this is headed. <clears throat> but man, like, how did, how did this happen? Like, my dad told me that one time uh, they weren't allowed to roller skate. And, but then they realized, you know, if we rent out the whole rink, None of the bad people will be there, right? None of the sinners will be there. And so they went roller, they rented out the whole rink and they went roller skating. And there was this one family that they were just too good to have never roller skated before. Like they're going backwards, they're spinning around. Which reminds me of another thing that my, my grandpa said that, that that church was really good at, which was gossip. So they're all talking about them. And... But how did they take things? How did their passion for God go from something so good that became so bad, became something that hurt people? Why did they do this? They believed that they could, if they could get all of Israel on the same page, if they could get everybody to follow the Torah just for one day, just one day perfectly, that it would immediately trigger the coming Messiah. And so that was their mission all the time. They were completely obsessive with this. Uh, but here's the thing. Is that a good desire or a bad desire? It's a good desire. But through this, they became lawmakers, rule enforcers, and they completely killed all genuine passion for God. Uh, it's kind of like people who, who say things like, oh, man, like, I just wish people in church would cheer for God like they do at a sporting event, right? That's so stupid. Like, you can cheer for your team and cheer for God. They're not at odds. Like, aren't, like we're not one of those kind of churches. That's just, that's a religious spirit. That's, that's like what the Pharisees were doing, and it just got more and more extreme. The Pharisees, uh, the name Pharisee actually means set apart ones. 
And so that was their whole thing. We got to be set apart. We got to be set apart. We got to separate from everybody else. And because of this and because of their worldview and how they saw their mission, they became set apart from God. And they used the home and they used the table in a perverted way. The home and the table were a big deal. Who you ate with was symbolic of who was in and who was out. And this is what the Pharisees used to send a message to sinners to say, hey, if you're not on board with our plan, you're out. We're not going to eat with you. You can't sit with us, right? (laughs) They're saying, you're out. Who is holy? Who's unholy? Who's clean and who's unclean? And a rabbi would never eat with sinners. Number two, Jesus shared a table with people no one accepted. Uh, For Jesus and his disciples to share a meal was an expression of trust and friendship. In ancient uh, Eastern culture and even in our Western culture today, who you eat with, who you spend time with is still symbolic of who you want to associate with, who you want to be friends with. And so one scholar writes this about the ancient Near East. He says, it'd be difficult to overestimate the importance of table fellowship for the cultures of the Mediterranean base in the first century of our era. Mealtimes were far more than occasions for individuals to consume nourishment. Being welcomed at a table for the purpose of eating food with another person had become a ceremony richly symbolic of friendship, intimacy, and unity. Uh, In a famous essay, anthropologist Mary Douglas says, in every culture on the planet, meals are boundary markers. Meaning who you eat with and who you refuse to eat with is a way of saying, who's in, who I'm okay with, who's out, who's loved and who's hated. So who do you eat with? Who are you sharing meals with? The longer you're a Christian, the easier it is to slip into this mindset. Uh, The Pharisees, they turn the meal into a cruel way of saying, sinners, you're not welcome. Listen, at Brave Church, uh, when we say that everyone's welcome here, it's not just like a nice, cool thing to say. Like, oh, everybody's welcome. You're welcome. Like, it's, it's, we mean it. That means that if if you look different, if you talk different, if you believe some things different, uh, you may not have a job that people are a fan of. You might even be a Patriots fan, okay? (laughs) My brother's shaking his head like, no, Patriots fans, no. I was talking to someone the other day, and I was just like like saying some nice thing, like, you know, it is pretty amazing what they've accomplished, and my brother just yells from the other room, remember when they deflated the footballs? (laughs) So we're still working on them. But uh, what was the rub here? Like, what was the big deal? Why were they so upset when Jesus started breaking the rules? I think a huge part of the Pharisees' struggle is something that we can all relate to, if we're being honest. And it's at the core of it all. When Jesus welcomed those that they saw as unworthy, it challenged their own sense of worth. For so long, they'd been finding their value in how good they were, how holy they were. But it kept them from seeing how good God is, and how unworthy they are. They criticized Jesus for not being a separatist, for not falling in line with their view of who is righteous and who is a sinner. And that distinction gave them power and prestige. See, sometimes when we have a problem with including others, it's because we fear losing some of our own power, some of our own prestige, some of our own, you know, our seat at the table. See, they feared that people no longer need them as much as they liked to be needed, that people would no longer respect them the way that they wanted to be respected. Have you ever felt this way? Maybe you know what it's like to feel threatened because someone's included and it makes you feel a little less important. 
But Jesus comes and he's the most important person on the planet. And this is who he chooses to hang out with. This is who he makes room for at the table. So to the Pharisees, a meal was a way to exclude people from the presence of God. But to Jesus, a meal was a way that he could draw people into the presence of God, which is why he answers them with this. It says, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This was a common saying in their day. It was a wisdom phrase. They said this all the time. And so here's Jesus, and he's saying, this is wisdom. What I'm doing is wise. Don't, the, don't doctors need to be with the sick? He's saying God needs to be with sinners. This is the gospel, but the Pharisees, they just don't get it. And notice this stark contrast. This is our second dispute. Verse 18, now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And some of the people came and they asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? So Jesus, he's at this party, he's eating and drinking, and the Pharisees are fasting. The Pharisees, they actually fasted twice a week, every Monday and every Thursday, and they never cheated. How many of you have ever tried to fast and you cheated? It's okay to admit, one time I was on a fast and it was supposed to go for a week, and we were just doing juice, water, no solid foods, and by day three, Chipotle was like drawing me in, and I cheated. And I think this is a safe place for me to tell you guys that. <laughs> These guys could go all day. Someone could put their favorite, like Chick-fil-A, right in front of them, and they wouldn't cheat. They never cheated. You guys want Chick-fil-A now, but you can't have it. Because <laughs> it's Sunday. Gotcha. This is really interesting, though, because it, here's the thing. The Torah, it actually only said they had to fast one day a week. And they took it to two days, a, or one day a week, one day a year, one day a year on Yom Kippur. And they took it to two days a week, Mondays and Thursdays. Uh, but Jesus, on the other hand, he ate so much that he's accused of being a glutton and a drunkard. Now, I don't think Jesus was either of these things, but to get that reputation, like you had to eat a little, right? You had to at least drink something. Jesus loved to eat and drink with his friends. One scholar writes that in the Gospels, Jesus was either at a meal, coming from a meal, or going to a meal. <laughs> Another said something, it sounds, to me, it sounds almost like a Bible meme. Like, I picture Jesus with this huge plate of food in front of him. It's like a photo, and then you know, the text over it, it just says, if you can read the New Testament without getting hungry, you're not paying attention. <laughs> because Jesus loved to eat. Jesus and his disciples, they're, they're, they're feasting with the worst people in the city. And now... He's not saying, hey, you're a prostitute. Hey, you're a thief. Like, whatever works for you. He's not saying that. But he's right in the middle of it. And he's loving people. What a clear distinction Jesus is making between who God is and who the religious people that had strayed so far from God's heart to, to who they are. Which sounds more fun, by the way, right? Jesus or, or the Pharisees? Like, this is why it's on our wall in the lobby. We follow Jesus. Because we want to follow the real Jesus, not the man-made pharisaical Jesus. Like, we're not, we're not going to go in that direction. We want to be like the real Jesus. That's, that's who we are. Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? They cannot. 
so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. And on that day, they will fast. So he's, this is the first time he's making a veiled reference to his later crucifixion. But all throughout scriptures, God's kingdom is likened to a wedding feast. And the Jewish wedding ceremony was actually seven days long. And guess what it was all centered around? Food, eating, and drinking. I love that God's kingdom is one of the most common things it's likened to is their most fun event, like one of the most fun things that they did. Uh, Yesterday, one of our elders here at Brave, he's been married 50 years, and they did a renewal, renewal of vows ceremony here in the church. We have a photo isn't that so cool? You, yeah. I asked my grandpa, or my grandma asked my grandpa last night, do you want to do a renewal? They've been married 61 years. He said, I think it worked pretty well the first time. <laughs> but they've got a dance floor. It was a blast. Um, this is a symbol of the kingdom of God. This. Uh, Jesus is feasting all the time as a way of saying, the kingdom of God is here. I'm the guy you've been waiting for, and it's time to party. Uh, It's no wonder people were looking at Jesus, and they're going, man, this guy. He's like a walking party. He's a walking celebration. He's full of joy. Mealtimes with his friends, they're a time to celebrate. Jesus is saying, it's not time to fast and mourn. It's time to eat, drink, celebrate, because I've arrived, and the rule of God is here. So, Here's what you don't want to miss. This new thing that God is doing in Jesus, he's doing it through food. And I love that. He's, just, he's doing it through eating and drinking with sinners. Um, check this out. There are three ways that the Gospels complete this one phrase, the Son of Man came. The first one in the Gospel of Mark, it says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The second one is in the Gospel of Luke, and it says the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. And in Matthew's Gospel, it actually says the Son of Man came eating and drinking. So there's this guy named Tim Chester, and he wrote a book called Eating with Jesus. And he makes a really interesting point about how those first two passages are talking about what Jesus' mission is. But the last one, the third one in Matthew, is talking about how he accomplished his mission sharing meals. This is Jesus's mission strategy. Was Jesus a genius or what? Like, do you guys agree? I mean, this is amazing. Number three, sharing a meal was one of Jesus's favorite strategies for loving people. How do we love people like this today? It's really simple. First, invite someone over for dinner. Invite someone that people, that, that people wouldn't normally invite maybe someone who believes differently than you, people who see things differently than you, and eat a long meal and take your time. Invite people that a good religious rabbi would never talk to. Uh, Invite people that don't know Jesus and don't preach to them. Talk, listen, eat, drink, enjoy God's grace, share life together, be open about your faith, Share your resources. If there's something you can do to help, whether it's financially, whether it's uh, serving, if, there's, if a need arises and there's something you can do to help, respond to it. And then have dessert. Okay, Jesus is giving you all permission. Have dessert tonight, <laughs> okay? But this is one of Jesus's number one strategies, and I love this. If, if you're serious about following Jesus, you have to be serious about eating with sinners, So Jesus wraps up with two word pictures to help us understand this bold contrast between what he's up to and what the Pharisees are up to. It says, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth 
on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. I don't know a lot about how this works, but apparently if you put old new, new wine into old wineskins, it'll expand, and there'll be an explosion, and it'll bust all over. Both of these two word pictures are saying the same thing. God is up to something new. Number four, sharing a meal is a chance to be part of the new thing God is doing. The new thing that God is doing. God's doing something new, and it's not legalistic. It's not about the rules. It's not about perfection. Um, It's fresh. It gets to the heart of the matter. It's exciting, it's open, it's, it's creative, it's life-giving, it's new wine. The forgiveness of sins that Jesus is now offering people was not to be mixed with the old Judaic system. Have you ever felt like God wanted to do something new in your life, but there was just a barrier you couldn't get past or a ceiling you couldn't break through, and it's just like I, you just couldn't get there, you couldn't grab hold of it? Sometimes it's because we've drifted into the old system We've lost sight of the new one. Sometimes we slip back, and it can happen so subtly, but we we slip back into finding our worth in the wrong places. We make things way more complicated than Jesus did. We rationalize why we don't need to be anywhere uh, near the really bad people and and because we need to be separate or we're more comfortable in in the bubble that we've come accustomed to. But God doesn't say, come follow me and, and, and leave all the sinners behind. No. Here he is going to have dinner with them. See, we, we forget sometimes how dependent we are on grace. And we recognize it at, at the moment that, you know, if you're here and you're following Jesus, you can recognize it at the moment that you decided when you first encountered it. But we're still dependent on that grace. God intended mealtime to be a reminder of that dependency. It's all throughout scripture. When the people of Israel were delivered from Egypt, there's a period of time where they were in the desert. And God provided for them through this stuff called manna that they would find fresh every morning. And he wasn't just giving them food so that they could eat. He was teaching them to see him as their source. Meals are a celebration of grace, a moment to remember that we are, though we need food to survive physically, there's this thing called grace that our souls survive off of. Meals are a celebration of this. It's not just about energy. It's about taking a moment and being grateful, taking a moment and and taking account of all that God has given us. And we eat in God's presence. So if you want your community to grow closer, eat more meals together. All right, last week I missed our home church. I was helping out with the youth, but I heard all about it. And they had pigs in a blanket They had Parmesan crisps with pepperoncinis in the middle. They had chocolate chip cookies with Snickers in the middle. Snickers in the middle of chocolate chip cookies. I got the play-by-play. I'm never missing home church again. (laughs) But maybe maybe you don't have time to cook a meal or cooking's not your thing. Uh, Don't let that stop you. Like, meet up before work. Grab breakfast with someone that you need to connect with or be intentional with your lunch times or on your way home from work. But best case scenario, if you can, invite someone over and spend an evening together and invite someone who doesn't know Jesus or, or invite someone in your home church that you've been wanting to get to know better. I guarantee you, if you have them over for dinner, if you break bread together, like there's, there's something to this. 
Uh, and this isn't just a, a lofty idea or something we say. I want to end with uh, a personal story um, because I really believe that this is one of the main ways that God wants us to love the world. And it's something that I've experienced to be so true in my life. Um, four years ago, I had plans to meet up with a friend in Walnut Creek. And he asked me where we should go. And I said, hey, let's go to this spot called Tiki Tom's. And if you, if you know the area, it's like one of the diviest bars around. And he grew up in the area, and he's like, I'm not going there. Like, I don't want to meet you there. Like, that's not my scene. Those aren't my people. And I'm like, come on, man. Like, let's go. We're going to meet. We're going we're gonna to catch up. And then we're going to invite somebody to church. And so I talked him into it. But little did I know I would meet my wife that night. And so she was there. She just started working there. She was bartending and serving tables. And we bumped into her mom, who was up visiting. And she's like, hey, my daughter's new in town. She needs to make some friends. You guys seem nice. And so I met her. Uh, we, we met Marcy when she got off work. And I was, like, I was like, hey, have you found a church? And I know that most people are not looking for a church. But I love to ask the question. You know, Maybe they just go, hey, maybe I should find a church. Like, Why don't I have a church? And so I, I invited her. And, and, and she's like, yeah, sure, I'd love to come. So I'm like thinking, cool, maybe I'll see her at church tomorrow. I text her the next day. She's like, no, I can't make it. And so I'm texting, inviting her and inviting her. And like a month goes by, and she's just not coming. And I'm like, well, I feel like I should invite her, but I don't know what to do. And so, so I text her. And, and we met up for coffee before her shift. And coffee turned into dinner. And I know what you're all thinking. Sparks are flying. But I promise you there was, there was something more. Like We shared a meal together. And then, and then she opened up. And then she came on a Sunday. And this community changed her life. Like this community. And she decided to follow Jesus here. It's, the rest is history. But here's the point. Marcy didn't come into the presence of God when she walked through those doors. She was brought into the presence of God when we sat down and shared a meal. So who is Jesus wanting you to eat with this week? Would you guys pray with me? God, I just pray this morning uh, as, as we are here together there, that there are people that maybe you've put on our hearts or opportunities or, or places you might have us go. And I just pray we'd be open to that. I pray that this would be a, a culture and a community that isn't about the rules but gets your heart. We don't want to major in doing everything right. We want to major in knowing your, your love and your kindness and the things that, that break, you break for, the things that break your heart, God. We want to major in those things. We want to major in being a place of grace where anybody can come. Anybody can go to that church. Anybody's welcome there. That's what you're doing here, and that's, that's who we want to be. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's our hope that you will let this message go deep within your soul and allow Jesus to do the work that only He can do. We also want to encourage you to partner with us here at Brave. Go to brave.church and become a regular giver and be part of how God is using this message to help people find and follow Jesus.